the Nature Recovery Network, or How Wild Is Your Land, is a is basically a survey. It's a it's a very brief quiz where people can give us uh, an idea of of how well their land is managed for wildlife. The longer version of that story is that we basically wanted to uh, come up with a scheme to make sure that 30% of land is managed for wildlife by 2030. Um, there's a number of ways that we're already doing that through our nature reserves, through the agri-environment scheme with government, uh, through uh, working with large landowners, but there's always going to be those personal gardens, those bits of uh, office grounds, healthcare facilities, you know, churchyards that we can't account for. But we know people that look after those bits of land, care about nature, uh, and want to do their their best for it. So this was really a way for us to put them on the map. And so this is a it's a combination, as it were. It's it's sort of working together. So it's Manx Wildlife Trust, it's DEFA, it is uh, the UNESCO Biosphere as well. Did the actual concept come out of a sort of um, of meetings, various meetings on the way forward and how we can improve these things, or is it the brainchild of any particular individual, either around the table or otherwise? It was definitely a, a team, a team action collaboration. Max Wildlife Trust and the department both working together to lead it, but we uh, made use of the government's small business change scheme, um, which provided funding for the project, which was very useful, and they also provided a. Uh, business analyst and a project manager uh, from Business Change Services in the Cabinet Office and they then linked through to Government Technology Services who do all the mapping on the government website and their team actually did the nitty-gritty technical work of actually putting the whole thing together using the fantastic system that they have uh, with government mapping and all the different layers that they've got there. So it was making use of various layers that we have and adding further things in and then as Graham says, putting this web form together with it and then adding at the end of it a dashboard to actually say what's going on and what the statistics are and how we're increasing this network, hopefully, year on year, and people can watch it grow and see how they can add to, to the effort that's going on to link up our areas for nature. And this is something we're seeing more of, Michelle, or it seems to me at least, uh, that we're seeing more of this collaborative approach between the third sector and uh, NGOs like the Max Wildlife Trust and government try and sort of work together in collaboration on things like biodiversity, climate change uh, and uh, the biosphere. Yeah, and joined up government, who'd have thought it could happen? <laughs> um, but no, I, th- I think it's important that, you know, on any sort of scheme, that especially one of this scale and where you need so many inputs from so many different sectors within government, that that ability to work together and to bring it all into one place is, is really useful. Um, and I think as well, DEFA doesn't have the monopoly on experts in nature. We know that, you know, there's the Manx Wildlife Trust, but as, as Graham said, there are lots of people doing things on their own bits of land where they've seen you know, what they want to achieve and, and they're working towards that. And this is really just a way of finding out exactly what's going on. So where are we at the moment then when it comes to either biodiversity or wildlife? Because I see there's talk in some of the notes about a biodiversity emergency. Are we actually there? Or are we talking about this is, you know, we're in a situation which is dire now and it needs immediate attention? I suspect you get different answers from each of us. Obviously, from Manx Wildlife Trust's point of view, we believe there is a massive biodiversity crisis at the moment, and that is intrinsically linked to everything else, the climate crisis uh, and everything else. And that is why we're so keen to work with partners like Government and Biosphere, who believe that it's about not just nature, but nature and people working together in harmony. And what about you, Richard? Do you, do you sort of see you've been involved for an awfully long time? Do you think, do you see we have got 
reducing numbers in lots of our wildlife, whether it's insects, whether it's small mammals, whatever the case may be. Yeah, I'm not seeing as I look, am I? <laughs> <laughs> um, the, whilst the Isle of Man has um, it's obviously independently been able to go about things in its own way, um, it's not outside of the influences of, of changes in society generally and in the marketplace. And whilst it's hung on to some really important things that have made a big difference here to, to some other areas around the British Isles, such as hedges and banks and the, the small fields and those areas where a lot of wildlife hangs on, um, there have no, undoubtedly been massive changes um, in the landscape here since, say, the 1930s when um, agricultural management as one of the measures, fisheries management another measure, uh, a whole variety of different ways, developments of all, all kinds, um, all sorts of things that uh, man does in terms of t to make a, a bit of environment for himself can have impacts and there's no doubt that it, that has changed the island um, over the last 1900 years um, enormously and that has led to the point where we are now where we realise that what we have now is not what we had 100 years ago hence we have this crisis because there was a, a definite gap in the biodiversity that we see now and what our grandparents used to know so we hope, are we hoping to sort of grow figures or that schemes like this, the uh, N Nature Recovery Network, are we hoping this will, over a period of, what, five, ten years, will actually help to boost our biodiversity again and bring it back to the figures that we, we saw hitherto? It, it gives a perspective. It gives the whole public a, a view via the website to actually see how things join up together. You know, where are the areas where you can see management for wildlife? Where are the gaps? Where are the bits that they can link up, provide stepping stones? Perhaps somebody has some land, garden, whatever it happens to be, small or large, um, that could, even by putting a pond or some flowers in, provide a stepping stone for wildlife, for insects moving between other areas where there's nesting habitat, feeding habitat, so that these different needs in the, in the life of a particular species can be put together and they've got enough um, to be able to work with. And I suppose, Michelle, it is just thinking really we are coming from micro to macro here on the one hand we're talking about literally people with their own back garden backyards little plots and yet overall there's this idea i suppose of it being part of the global conservation role as it suggests there of, of the unesco biosphere so it's a case of uh, to quote a well-known supermarket i guess every little helps i think it does and i think there are some significant challenges and graham's mentioned climate change but we know we're facing significant challenges in terms of our tree stock for example and and large mature trees are incredibly valuable for the number of species that they support but we know that with ash dieback and, and dutch elm disease kind of <laughs> running running right almost that we're going to see real changes in the landscape and I think it's really important that we have sight on these areas and that we are starting in some ways to try and provide some some buffer against that change. Um, and I, I generally think that, you know, that more people get it now than they used to. And climate change is not new. It's, it's, it's not been new for 40 years. But actually, the understanding and the public uh, sort of sympathy towards trying to do something and to make a difference... I think actually supports initiatives like this where you can get involved, even if it is just a small place, even if it's a small plot, or even if it's a, a bit of your company's land that you maybe ha can have some influence over. Um, you know, there's a way of sort of getting recognition and, and uh, tying that into the whole network. And, and 
Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, they, um, you know, there was when we started talking about marine conservation in, in the UK, there was this idea that things moved from place to place, and on land it seemed to be much more fractured. And then we're starting to to recognise, like Richard said, that stepping stones and that, that sort of continuous nature uh, that needs to happen. And so I think this is a really good way of identifying just those little bits that that fill in the gaps. And do you think, Graham, people are buying more into these sort of projects now do you think people again working at the cliff faces you do in many ways at the wildlife trust you see more people now coming on board thinking okay if i can do a little bit even if it's just like i said my backyard a pond grass bank out the back of here or something that's all going to add to the bigger picture definitely i think when i started at manx wildlife trust over five years ago we used to get occasional calls and emails from people who who maybe bought a bit of land or had a large garden and wanted to create a, a wildfly meadow and maybe Andre or Trisha would go out and give them some advice and to me it's developed from that now that we're dealing with a lot a, a lot larger cross-section of society now people with very small gardens they might just have you know a small front yard or they might have a small garden at the back which they can't do a wildflower meadow in, or at least not one on the scale that we're used to dealing with but they could have a small pond or they could have some pollinating flowers a log pile some long grass things that really help nature and what we're finding is that that people are more keen to find out exactly how to do that and how to do it right and i think one of the things that's really key for us and for me especially with this project is it isn't just about the snapshot of where all the land is at the moment it's about getting people on this journey and you'll find if you go through the survey every single one has a little link next to it telling you how to do it so if you haven't got um, you know a garden pond it tells you how to build one if you haven't got uh, you know uh, composting or wormery facilities in your garden it tells you how to set one up um, and none of them cost a great deal of money to do there's lots of ways to do things by recycling and and that sort of thing but it, it's you, you could go through that survey the first time and only score 15% but by doing that you'll have seen all the areas where you could improve your garden for wildlife and then go back through it and you might score 50 60% and then it gets onto the nature recovery network and that's where we want people we want people thinking about wildlife and how the actions that they take in their own properties can affect wildlife for everyone. And I must admit, I've, I've had a go uh, for my own patch out at Kronkavodi. And A, I have to say, it's, it was great, good fun to do and, and remarkably uh, remarkably easy that the map thing works ingeniously. We can just home in literally on your garden and just draw it out with the cursors. And I thought, that's actually very clever, works very well indeed. And it gives you, I think, I think I have the sum total of 180 square metres of land according to the project, which is great, more than I thought, to be honest. Um, but then, yeah, I think I came up with about 55%. And um, it does make you think of nothing else, because I thought, oh, I might have done a bit better than that, because I thought, well, I think about it quite a bit. So I did quite well on things like log piles and uh, composting and such like. Not so well on things like uh, natural hedgeland and uh, having water features or putting some sort of, again, some sort of pond, even if it's only a small bucket there. It just makes you think maybe about little things you can you can do which might help. Definitely. I, I would say it's not a competition as well. We don't want people competing with each other on how good their gardens are for wildlife. No, I don't it think might, you should be a bad a competition. Thing, right? I, I think this is the way you drive people to get involved. You know, he's got a score of 55. He wants to get better. Encourage that. <laughs> I can see people doing it and thinking, did I really get that? Depending on their on their viewpoint. But you imagine if they feel they're doing quite a bit and then you think, oh, gosh. But then it makes you think, well, you know, what are the bits maybe I'm, I'm sort of not doing that could do a little bit more, which is exactly what I thought. I thought, oh, well, maybe I could stick a bit there or maybe just I've got space for a little, even if it's just a little small pond in somewhere I could do that. It's like an environmental Pokemon game. Isn't it? We're going <laughs> to collect all these ticks. <laughs> it, it, what's good is it does feedback straight away so that you can go through and you can say, well, actually, if I did have a pond and click it 
and it, it updates the score straight away so for that section so you can see how big a difference it makes and then then you can really work out okay what can what, where am i going to get my biggest bang for buck in my garden or on my land for wildlife uh, which i think is quite nice because you say some things are really really simple to do yeah and bonds are truly fantastic from that perspective because um if you don't have some kind of open water like that and you have the opportunity even if you've just got a yard and you put a bucket and some stones for things to climb in and out things that live in a, a pond environment they're used to isolated habitats and it's amazing how quickly they'll find those isolated habitats and suddenly you'll see all sorts of species that weren't there before and it's really just exciting it's trying to s just watching what comes in year by year and grows and all little microbes and then the things that feed on the microbes and the bugs that come in there and the things that feed on the bugs Getting some water in there is just instant effect. And, and it keeps and raining like this, there's going to be lots of water <laughs> yes, We're going to need some ponds, aren't we? <laughs> well, I was thinking something again, you know, I'm not going to big, dig a massive pond, but I have read exactly what you've been saying there, that this, it, you always hear this and I hear this from people who've done it, saying, you know, I'm amazed, you know, I just put in this little pond, and they will say, put the water in and the wildlife will come. And they said within a year or so, I had a friend who did it quite recently right in the middle of, of Douglas in, um, in the Quarterbridge Road. And they've already got sort of frogs and they've got, you know, all sorts there. And it's only a couple of years in and they're, they're, mm. they were amazed at how quickly the wildlife appeared. And as you say, you don't need, you know, a huge, great pond you can go boating on. You can just have a, a relatively modest and quick to, you know, quick fix sort of small bucket type pond. And I think that the effect comes out the same way. So we're talking gardens, obviously, for this scheme. It's gardens and private land, not farmland, of course, for this particular one. I suppose a few people might sort of look at it quickly without reading the small print and think, well, there's acres and acres of farmland. Why, why isn't that in there? Yeah, the farmland's obviously really important for biodiversity because um, ag agricultural, agriculture itself affects about 80-something percent of, of the island's land. And so what people do on that land is really important and the effect they have is, is, is extremely important to consider. And with the agro-environment scheme, that's something where there's clear positive benefits going on that farmers are putting in measures um, supported by government to, to provide benefits for biodiversity. Um, that isn't within the Nature Recovery Network currently. I hope that it might be something that we can do in future with the support of the agro-environment scheme and farmers themselves, but that's something that we'd have to agree before we start posting people's land up there in some way. Um, so hopefully that's one for the future. But yeah, you're right, that's something that needs to be recognised and through the scheme there is recognition of that but it's not on that map online at the moment. And would our hills and upland areas fall into the same category there from that point of view? Uh, they are in there through um, um, the heath protection, uh, the heath regulations um, and as deafer lands so there are a couple of categories that bring them in there um, through the protection they have through the bylaws there. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, now, there's a, a goal suggested by the Wildlife Trust, Graham, saying, yeah, 30% of the island's uh, land and sort of a managed land being managed for nature of the garden areas we've been talking about, small areas in, in the corporate uh, uh, ownership as well, by 2030. Is that aspirational figure, I think, achievable? Um, we're following the, the UK Wildlife Trust in a, in a drive for this, along with some other NGOs uh, as well. Um, I think it is a, a high target, um, but I think target should be uh, to give us something to aim for. Do we know um, our baseline at the moment? or, or where No, we we're, we're just working on our State of Nature report at the moment, which will give some idea. And obviously this mapping does help. We need to, to 
the, the more granularity we can get in that data of what what how land is being used and, and how it's being managed for nature, the better. Um, and and that is the first part of this. Uh, you know, getting this nature recovery network together, understanding that first, and then we can come up with a plan on how we can do more. And then this idea again of hopefully, as more people hopefully take this first step. It's a bit like the sort of the, the green corridors they talk about linking various areas. If you've got lots and lots of uh, little small gardens and little managed areas together, then they start to form this sort of green corridor, presumably, around, around the island. Yeah, I've heard, the, I've heard the phrase green lace used as well, which I think is a really nice way to term it. And, and we've built that into this um, uh, this survey. Uh, the last section is on connectivity. Um, and it's everything from putting a hole in your fence so that a hedgehog can get through because they roam quite large areas every night to, um, you know, working with your neighbours, you know, sharing um, uh, plants and, and, and vegetables, um, you know, setting up a little wildlife group in your area and, and maybe managing a small piece of um, no man's land as often turns up in places. And there's some really nice community groups that are, are, are you know, being helped by our community ranger, Hannah, uh, to do exactly that. So um, we mentioned uh, uh, earlier on this idea that if you go online and, and take a look at this, and it is very, like I said, very easy to use. If I can use it, anyone can. So I'll put that out there now because I'm not that super techie. But even I thought, oh, actually, this is fairly click and point, And yeah, I'm quite liking this. And so we're through it in no time. And it was a uh, quick and fun to do. You go on, so if you get that score a little bit higher, you do go on to the sort of map there that people can access and see how things are coming on. There was mention of the interactive dashboard. What, what will happen there then if people go on to take a look at that? So there you can see the different categories of land that are in there and you can highlight them separately and see what kind of area they cover and where they sit on the map and you can see them all together and there's a total um, with the Wild Isle of Man map areas that people have added in and without those, so in the um, designations and other effective conservation measures. So that, that without total relates to the biodiversity strategy and the um, target of 20% of land in designated areas or other effective conservation measures by 2025, which we'll be reviewing with the Global Biodiversity Framework at the moment, which has the global target of 30 by 30, which is also as mentioned in the Wildlife Trust strategy at the moment. So yeah, we're, we're looking to um, head to that target, and this is a, a tool that helps with that. And another target that's in the strategy, of course, is the marine one. Uh, we do intend to add marine areas onto the Nature Recovery Network, and within the biodiversity strategy, there's a target of 10% of land by 2025, which we've already reached in terms with using the marine nature reserves. So that's a, a fantastic tick that um, the marine officers and fisheries um, industry have managed to bring. I was going to mention that. So that is a sort of separate project to this altogether in many ways, or, 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 the, or the two linked? Um, that's something that they've managed to do before we put this together. So, But hopefully we can report it in there so that people can see the whole perspective together of how the designations sit together and the other land management measures that are positive biodiversity. It's easier at sea, isn't it, to, to kind of quantify where the marine nature reserves sit in the area and so that, that's a much easier measure, whereas uh, without this, I think we'd really struggle on land to, mm. to know the scope and the scale. And, and this is where individual people, whether they've got you know, a window box or, or something as much, much larger in terms of the land that they look after, can directly contribute Whereas obviously at sea, it's it's common area. There are things that people could do, but they're collaborative measures and they're bigger projects. But with this, somebody, as you say, like yourself, can just go online and say, all right, what have I got? What can I do? And think about what, what further measures they might be able to take on board. 
needs a new little tagline on the website. Even Howard can do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a bad idea, actually. As tested by Howard. As tested, <laughs> as tested by total numpty. Yes, that'd be a good idea. Do, do you think it's from again from the larger perspective, Michelle? Do you think is it important for the Isle of Man t- to be seen to be doing these sort of things? Because again, you quite often listen and if you listen to things like the Malin Line or whatever, there are people sort of say, "Oh, what's the point? You know, we're such a small area; we're not going to make any difference doing these things." Is it important for us, not just from the point of view of our own welfare and keeping the island green and our own biodiversity here, but also as part, again, as we're saying, it's part of this bigger picture as well of, of the whole sort of biosphere around the world and the UNESCO scheme. Is it important for us to be seen to be doing these things? Absolutely, it is. I, I think, you know, notwithstanding our biosphere status, I think one of the things that people really love about living in the Isle of Man is our green spaces, our, our nature and our marine spaces. And uh, protecting those and enhancing those is just almost core to, to the reasons why lots of us are living on the island. Because if it wasn't such a beautiful environment we probably would think somewhere else was perhaps easier and cheaper to get to and, and things like that. Um, so really, you know, this is I think this is Im- embedded in who we are as an island, that, that we want to protect those areas. We have, as well as the sort of private gardens, we've got the corporates as well, because there must be, I imagine, a fair acreage of land which is actually belongs to individual companies or corporations or such like. We've got, like I said, just here at Manx Radio, we've got the grass bank out the back, which we're trying to do our own little bit with there. Do larger companies buy into this, Graeme? Do you see a sort of a good uptake on that? Definitely. Uh, First of all, I'd say it's becoming far more important for for companies, large and small, uh, to deliver on on their ESG, their their, uh, environmental, social and governments. That's becoming really important for them. And this is one of the small ways that they can do that. There's a a section of the Cool Road Business Park, which is actually becoming really good for wildlife. Um, You've got Zurich, who were one of the first to to put their little bit of land behind the the car park there, that they've, they've created this wonderful wildlife garden they've put that onto the nature recovery network through this app and we've also been working with you know um, uh, Manx Telecom um, and uh, IFGL and, and, and uh, people like that to to help them improve their land where they've where they've got spaces and Manx Telecom have gone the whole hog they put a, a pond in uh, in front of their offices uh, there so actually as, as a little sort of wildlife haven in the middle of a business park that's doing really really well and that I think is almost like a, a microcosm of how powerful this could be across the whole island. And presumably it is all, again, like so many of these things, it's all this balancing act, because on the one hand, obviously, we, we want to have this, you want to live in a nice invari- area, you want the Isle of Man to be a green place, we want to see wildlife, we like seeing wildlife, whether it's going out bird watching, whatever the case may be, but on the other hand, clearly we all got to live, and we all, you know, there's businesses, and they all need space, so it's always striking a, striking a balance, I suppose. And that's, to me, very much what Biosphere is all about. It's about the balance between uh, people and nature. And and this is one of the ways that I think it's really becoming clear that the two things can go hand in hand. And, and you rightly point out, wildlife and nature is really important for our mental health, for our food security, for all sorts of reasons, for our tourism industry in some ways. Um, so every little bit that each of us can do to improve that for nature and ourselves, why wouldn't we? It does does make a lot of sense from that point of view, doesn't it? The one thing I was thinking that uh, cropped up quite a bit, and again, you hear on the, certainly been on the Mellon line, been in the news an awful lot uh, in recently, is talking about wind farms and such like. Now, 
can we have this sort of slight going outside the beam, but going on to wind farms or whatever, there are a lot of people say, well, great. On the one hand, they see it as a great energy. We all need energy. We all consume energy. We all know we need to create more green energy. You never get something for nothing, it seems to me, unless someone brings fusion on very quickly. But uh, can we have green farms, which again, can sort of can be part of the biosphere, do you think? Because there's always concern about environmental impact and uh, impact on things like migrating birds and such like. Are these things which we can think about in the bigger picture as well? <laughs> Everyone went quiet because it was political. <laughs> um, I, I think we're going to have to. So there, there's no doubt that we are going to have to move away from fossil fuels and we are going to have to find some other way of generating our energy economically and from the technology point of view on land wind farms just make more sense than any other version of that technology and we're going to have to look at how we mitigate any damage that that would cause um, i don't I, from my perspective i can't see that there is very much option and people keep quoting tidal at me and there's no real examples of tidal generation that that work unless you start building lagoons so i can you know, challenge anyone as to which bay would you like us to build a big wall across and put some turbines in there i'm not sure anyone would go for that either um so i think somewhere along the line there does have to be some compromise um we yes we'd love to see all the hills there left untouched but at the same time we can't keep burning gas in to generate electricity it's just not possible for the future and is it possible i'm looking at you richard because i thought you might have a steer on this but is it possible to put up wind farms where you're trying to mitigate or minimise any any damage to things like bird strikes, migrating bird patterns and such like? And any kind of development like that, it's all about finding what's sustainable, finding what's what, what you can do in a non-damaging manner, and that's what the planning system is all about. So any such project will have to do um, a large one like that, an impact assessment, environmental impact assessment, and that will be assessed, and that's something that we'll be looking at when it comes in and commenting on. Uh, to try and make sure that whatever comes forward is done in the most environmentally friendly manner. On a much more basic level, something else that someone suggested to me when they saw this, it was the case of, you know, when we talk about uh, our own particular patches, can you actually, uh, you know, there is a temptation, I suppose, for some people to say, oh yeah, I'll have a wildlife garden, I've just got a patch out the back of my house and I do absolutely bugger all on it at all. Is that a wildlife garden just leaving it entirely unmanaged or not? Because there's, I know there's been an argument, I've seen it raging a bit on some social media sites of like saying, and some of the gardeners like Anna Titchmarsh or whatever saying, well, that's, this isn't good. You know, just, just leaving your area and doing nothing at all isn't helping. It's like anything that the more you know, the more you want to know. Um, so, for example, letting your grass grow long doing no mow may for example is great but if you just leave it year on year that's going to become scrubland and trees are going to grow, grow through and that probably isn't suitable for a small back garden um if you're trying to create a wildflower meadow then as you're doing at the back here at manx radio you you cut it um you know after tim all day and then in some cases you can graze it or cut it throughout the winter and then let it grow uh, back in the spring and that's when you'll get the wildflowers coming through especially if you remove the material so you're reducing the fertility um, all the the information as i say the links are on the the survey if people want to go and have a look and we're always happy to advise people on it um but not every two gardens are the same and you might get different answers on different locations and you're right there are cases where people have maybe been lucky enough to buy a piece of land not associated with their house at all and they've just left it to almost rewild on its own and it clearly is good for wildlife but it wouldn't actually score particularly well on this survey because it's really aimed at those kind of bits of managed land gardens uh, office space churchyards that sort of thing 
Right. It's a cracking scheme. It's a, it's a great idea. Like I said, it is easy to use. Can someone give us the details? Anyone listening to this thinking, yeah, wouldn't mind giving a crack? Can uh, anyone come out with how you, where you go to towards you to take part in the, uh, in the project? There's a number of different ways, but our ways just go to our website, mwt.im, and there's a big button at the top that says, how wild is your land? Uh, click on there and follow the instructions. And I should also add that you do not have to add your land to the public version of the map. You can choose to keep your where you are on the island private, um, but the data still goes into the Nature Recovery Network. Lovely. And then just going forward then, for the three of you, where do you see us going from here? Because we're, we do seem to be, like I said, going in, uh, in really in the right direction. A lot of great ideas like this coming up and more collaborative work going on between government, between DEFA, uh, Max Wildlife Trust, the Biosphere, other organisations as well. I take it this is the way forward. Are we going to see, do you think, more of these sort of collaborative schemes going forward over the next five, ten years? I certainly hope so, because landscape scale effects are what needs to happen to make a real difference. And if we're talking about 30 by 30, then you're looking at at large scale effects, really. So whether they're substantial lumps of land or whether they're strings that run through the landscape, like the lace that uh, Graham mentioned, green lace, um, either of those can have big effects but it requires collaboration so if you're putting in your nectar bar or something and your neighbour is then you can have a what they call bee lines in uh, bug life running right across the landscape and that's where big differences happen we can all make little differences and they're significant but if you want to make big differences you need to work with your neighbours so collaboration is definitely the way forward I'd just echo that. Um, Manx Wildlife Trust is a a small conservation charity in terms of the wilder the wider the, the wider wildlife trust movement there's 46 trusts across the whole federation and they're all jealous of us because of our connectivity with our local government being a small island in this instance is a really good benefit for us and the fact that we can have these conversations with mhks with senior officers and work together on projects like this means we can really test things out find out what works well and then we can take that back to the wildlife trust across and say hey guys this is what you need to be doing but they're jealous of that connectivity that we have with the government so we're, we're very very happy to be able to do that terrific success story then michelle absolutely normally when people talk about the island man being very small and we talk about responsive you know, uh, and legislation and things it's it's in the context of finance or you know sanctions or something like that but actually it works for us uh, uh, on a conservation level because you, you're right i mean we we all have each other's mobile phone numbers and weird bits like that. We do. We're all in connection all the time anyway. So that ability to work together is really enhanced by, by the fact that we are a small jurisdiction and we can make, get those links up really fast. Thanks very much indeed for coming in to talk about the uh, Manx Nature Recovery Network today. If you want to find out more about the biosphere, there's more podcasts, of course, you can go to and enjoy. Uh, go and check this one out. It is easy to do. And uh, I think as we've mentioned today, it's just been tested as being numpty-proof. <laughs> if anyone does have any trouble, they can email me. I did talk one guy through it on the phone because he didn't use computers at all. But you do need an email address so we can get back to you and check that it's still valid in a few years' time. But, uh, yeah, just drop me an email at graham at mwt.im and I'll go through it on the phone with you.